0: we'll be looking at this sermon we have entitled Before the King as we continue in our series of Daniel, the book of Daniel. And we'll be looking specifically at Daniel chapter 1, verse 17 to 21. As we start this sermon, I want to present to you an idea. And this idea hopefully illustrates the eternal sovereignty and the eternal presence of our Almighty God. So I want you to imagine that a dash... This dash represents all the seasons, a season of your life right now, or a stage of your life right now. So a dash could be, for example, you're going through junior college or polytechnic. A dash could represent that you're going to get married and going to have children, and you go through that journey. A dash could mean that you've uh, your first few years of your working life, And a dash could be something a bit more serious, like you have to nurse an elderly parent at home. Or you're going through a cancer journey. Either yourself have cancer or a loved one has cancer. These could all represent a dash in your life right now. And in that moment of life, God is at work. He's working behind the curtain. He's working in your life. He is present right there. But perhaps as you go through this dash of your life, you don't exactly feel His presence. You don't exactly can see His hand upon you. And so the irony is that sometimes we recognize the hand of God upon our life in retrospect. When we look back at it, we go, yeah, actually, I did see how God did this. I did, I did see how God introduced this person into my life. I did see how God was at work. And we could consider our whole life at the end of it We could see the hand of God upon our life. But right this moment, we may not be able to exactly see it. Now, I want to also suggest, if we look at the biggest scheme of things, our entire life could be considered as one dash. And so actually, in light of the entire world, we are amongst many other dashes here. And God is at work in all these lives, these billions of lives, amongst all the chaos and calamity of life and all the confusion of life, God is at work and He's actually in control. For those of us who are Christians, He's speaking to us, He's working in us. We can see His hand upon us at work. Now if we consider even in the greater scheme of things, whatever is happening right now on this planet is considered like a dash. That's not to make light of what's happening in the world today because there are many Pretty serious things happening. COVID-19, Ukraine war, even the devastating earthquake in Turkey and Syria. But God sees all this. In His eternal sovereignty and His eternal presence, it's still here. We see in human history, His hand is upon the different lives that have lived through history, and we'll see that happen until the end of time. How do we know all this? Because in the Psalms, it talks about how God sees all of us. He can see within our soul right here in this present day. And we know that God is eternal. He can be in history. He's there at the beginning of time, the end of time. We know this because it says in Genesis chapter 1 that in the beginning there was God. It was before time was actually created, before the sun was created, God was already there. We see God working through time because in the Bible, we see how He was present in every single aspect of life throughout the Bible. And we know that God can actually catapult Himself into the future, but yet still be in the past because there were prophecies and they all came to pass as we look at Scripture. See, God is eternal. He's beyond our time, yet He's within our time, and He's very much in our lives. He is at work. As we reflect on that magnificence of God, I'd like us to zoom into history at the time of Daniel. Scholars estimate that Daniel was born around 620 B.C. Now, that's a pretty long time ago. and He was born an Israelite. And the parents named him Daniel, which in Hebrew means, God is my judge. In other words, was dedicated to the Lord God Yahweh from birth. And so as Daniel grew up as an Israelite, he would have heard stories in the past of his origin, that Abraham is the father of his nation, that God appeared to him, Genesis 12, Genesis 15, that you will be the father of a great nation. And out of you will come many ancestors, as many as the stars in the sky. You are blessed to be a blessing. And then throughout history, God will raise Joseph. He will raise Moses. And from Moses, God will establish his covenant relationship with the Israelite people. He'll say, you'll be my people. I'll be your God. God. I will love you. I'll be faithful to you. A covenant relationship is a sacred relationship. It's like a legal contract, but has that sacredness around it. So there are conditions. You see, God will love them, but the people must return to worship Him and obey and follow Him, trust Him. And it will continue on all the way to the time of Daniel. And that's where we hit Daniel chapter 1, which is in some sense like a dash. That old chapter there is a significant episode in the life of not just Daniel, but the people of Israel. You see, Daniel chapter 1, there's a dramatic beginning. It starts with the Babylonians, the mighty empire of Babylon, invading Jerusalem. The entire nation fell. And so the nation of Israel lost their country, their land, They lost their earthly king. And they lost the temple, which was a sacred place of worship. They lost the sacred things in the temple. And worse still, as they were captured, they had to take on new names. They were stripped of their identity, so they lost their identity. And a lot of their names were steeped in their belief in Yahweh, the Lord God. And so now Daniel had a new name. And that name was dedicated to a Babylonian pagan god. But in spite of all that, the loss of land, the loss of an earthly king, the loss of the temple, the loss of their identity, their names, it could not strip away his loving, his love and his trust in the Lord God, Yahweh. He held on to it, and we see that indicated in Daniel chapter 1, verse 7, where it says there that, Daniel refused to be defiled by choice food offered by King Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel made the choice that I shall not eat the food of the king provided because I believe my food is provided by the Lord God. I shall not defy myself. There was something within Daniel that would not compromise his faith. He was in the world but not of the world. He will not conform to the pattern of that world, but allow God to transform him from the inside out. Then we hit verse 17. And this is what it says. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And you see, when they were captured, When the Israelites were captured, something very significant happened. King Nebuchadnezzar ordered that all the handsome young Israelite men that have some education, some ways of thinking, as well as have some royal pedigree, will be gathered together and they would be assimilated into Babylonian culture. And the way to do that was to indoctrinate them, teach them the language first, and from the language came the culture and the values which were very intertwined with their Babylonian worship of pagan gods. So they tried to twist it all for them so that they would eventually be in some sense brainwashed and spirit washed of their belief in Yahweh. But in the midst of all that, God had given this special gift of having unusual aptitude to understand every aspect of literature and wisdom. And on top of that, God would give Daniel this special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. Now, little did Daniel know in this dash, in that moment, that God's hand was upon his life and had a plan that was much greater than what Daniel would imagine. He couldn't see it. But God can see it. God would later use these gifts for his glory to continue to be his covenant God. And so would come a time when Daniel would have to appear before King Nebuchadnezzar. After three years of training in Babylonian culture and literature, they would have to appear before King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, when you appear before a teacher for an exam, the worst thing that can happen to you is you didn't pass the exam. right? Here, these four men would have to appear before King Nebuchadnezzar. He would test them on their knowledge of Babylonian culture and literature and wisdom. And the punishment was either you'd be tortured really barbarically they'll put you on an the instrument, they'll stretch your body. Or they'll do that and behead you. So it wasn't exactly like you know, going to see a school principal, you got into trouble, and then she gave you detention. It was life-threatening for them. They had to come before this king. They were nervous about it. They were afraid of what could happen to them. And so as they walked in, before this great king, Nebuchadnezzar. The tension, the stress, the pressure was there. And they appeared before this king. And they began to speak. And as they spoke, something amazing happened. The king talked with them. No one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Michael, and Azariah. No one impressed. Wow! On top of that, what happens? They entered the royal service. Imagine coming from this idea, I have to come before the king nervously, having to present and see if I can pass the test, to the point of actually, amazingly, they became consultants coming before the king to being consultants why because god gave god gave them the ability to understand wisdom and literature have the ability to speak before this fierce king So whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any other magicians or enchanters in the entire kingdom. In other words, King Nebuchadnezzar was impressed. He gave them an A plus 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 plus, and he wasn't. He was impressed with them. more than Jurong or Tampines or Bedok it was the entire kingdom of babylon these four men were outstanding why because god gave from coming before the king to consulting the king because god gave I want to think a little bit deeper about this. You see, for the Israelite people, they thought that all was lost. They lost their land. They lost their earthly king. They lost the temple. They even lost their names and identity. They had to be indoctrinated into a new culture. All seem lost. But the covenant God remained. The covenant God was still on his throne. He was still at work. His eternal sovereignty and his eternal presence was with his people. How? Consider this. As Daniel stood before the king, the presence of the almighty God had entered the royal palace through his servant Daniel. And because God gave Daniel the ability to be able to understand wisdom, God would use that because the voice of true wisdom had entered the conversation at the royal palace. You see, when they appeared before King Nebuchadnezzar, he probably thought, hmm, see how well we have taught these Israelites. Look at what we have been able to accomplish. Look at their wisdom. Look at what I have given them. But actually, it was God who gave the ability to Daniel and these three friends. And so therefore, Actually, King Nebuchadnezzar was amazed by the wisdom and the judgment of the Almighty God. If we think even further than that, that this voice that they had now, this wisdom and the ability to consult the king, will come into play in the history of Babylon and the Israelites in exile. Because now Daniel could influence public policy, economic development. He could even have say in the way that they navigated their worldviews and their pagan God understanding. Because we will see in Daniel chapter 2 that King Nebuchadnezzar would have dreams that would disturb him. And God had given to Daniel the ability to interpret visions and dreams. And out of all the magicians in all the land, Daniel was the one who could interpret, and he impressed the king so much that he would say, wow, your God, Daniel, your God is greater than all the other gods, and he would place him in a position of great influence. He became, almost like the, what we would call today, the prime minister. He was in charge of the provinces in Babylon, and he was even in charge of the wise men. These wise men were the magicians and the enchanters. In other words, he could speak into the lives of people who worshipped the pagan gods. And through that, God's presence will be felt amongst his people. Because as the prime minister now, with that godly influence and godly voice, he's speaking his presence into his people. The covenant God is still at work with his people, even though all seem lost. Now, as in his sovereignty, God positioned Daniel to be his voice of wisdom and truth because God gave the special ability God gave that unusual aptitude. Today, for our application and our consideration, can you see that God has positioned you to be his witness? You see, in this season or stage of your life right now, that dash, the decisions that we make, the words that we use to our colleagues and our family members, the thoughts that we have, the behavior that we exhibit, they matter to God. They matter to your life. You may not see the hand of God, but if you look back at what God has done in your life, you can see Him working. Will you therefore commit your life in His hands and understand that you and I are positioned to be your witness for Him? What you do now matters. Because if you can see the sovereign hand of God, the sovereignty of God in all the schemes of Of all our world, you will know that He has given you abilities. He has given you gifts for His glory. And you might say, but you know what? I don't have any gifts. I'm not the most able person. I can't play music. I can't sing. I can't play the guitar like Hisu. or play the piano like Joan. I can't sing like David. Because sometimes what we think of when it comes to abilities, we think of it in line of our education system. We might think that, for example, uh, I'm not very good at math because I've got a B for it. I'm better at English because I've got an A for it. But I want to tell share with you a very quick story. When I was working in Bukio Sui, which is a low-income estate in Singapore, I knew a boy who didn't go through formal education school, never went through school. So he never knew English, he never knew math. But he knew angles how do I know he knew angles because when he was on the soccer field he could kick the ball from any angle and get it in he understood angles he had an ability it's a God given ability when I was in Australia there was a man that I knew he was the caretaker of the church and so his name was Ray he was a big sized man he had had red hair auburn hair, red hair and he had a beard, so he looked like a redhead version of Santa Claus. This big smile his face, wore a big you know, hat. He walked around like this, greeting everyone in the morning. He had a big bunch of keys, and he opened the doors for people, opened the gates. Uh, he would be able to stack out all the chairs for your ministry needs. So Everyone saw him as that guy, the caretaker, the guy who cleans the toilet, the guy who fixes the light, who clears the plumbing, and so on and so forth. But little did people know that God had given him this special ability and gift called compassion and a listening ear. And what happens at night, sometimes people try to break into the church. But Ray, who lived right next door, would hear it. And he would go over with his big torch and go, What are you doing here? Come over with me. So they're not caught right here. This big guy, right? No one wants to fight him. You bring him to the house, making a cup of coffee, sit them down, hear their life story. And then he would share the gospel with them. God had given him the ability. And he understood his position was to be a witness. Today we have that ability. Those abilities to use for his glory. Not just for our monetary gain. Yesterday I was at a wedding and I met, caught up with someone I haven't seen for a while. His wife and him have started a, a small business which was to recruit people for jobs. And sometimes they'll sit with these new graduates, and then they'll share their story with them. And sometimes these stories are heartbreaking. And that would give my friend the opportunity to share about Christ with them. You see, he recognized that God has positioned him to be a witness. What about you? Here was Daniel and his three friends coming before the king, shaking in their slippers, as it were. And God would turn that around for them to become a consultant to the king because God gave. And today, God gives. And he positions us to be his witness. Beyond that, there's also this idea of being faithful to the end before the king. We get this by looking at the last verse in Daniel chapter 1. Now, it just sounds like a simple fact, what we're going to read here. But if we read into it, we will see something. It says there in verse 21, Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. Now, if we do some little study into history, we'll see that King Cyrus appears some 70 years later. In other words, Daniel was in the king's service, the royal service, for 70 years. Over four kings, three who were from Babylon, one was a Persian king, Cyrus. And each time these kings went into power, Daniel's life was not just tested, it was threatened. Remember, he was thrown into the lion's den. That would happen some 70 years later. So, every king that came across, they were pagan kings that worshiped pagan gods, and Daniel would faithfully serve them. Never gave up on them. But think about this. Think a little bit deeper about it. Here was Israel lost their country, lost the earthly king, lost the temple lost their identity, lost even their culture, but they did not lose their God because God was sovereignly working. He gave Daniel into the royal service and through Daniel's voice, he would be able to speak God's truth and wisdom and perspective. He was speaking to public policy, economics, engineering, and even to those that were worshipping pagan gods because Daniel was then put into a position of being able to be in charge of all these magicians and enchanters. Why? Because God gave. But also because God is a covenant-keeping God. Way back in the days of Abraham, to Moses, God would say to his people, you are my people, I love you. You are to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation set apart for my glory. I will never leave you nor forsake you, says his God. I will love you. I will cherish you. You are my people. You are blessed to be a blessing. And there was Daniel in the courts of the kings. Not just blessed by God, but being a blessing to the nation of Babylon and to the exiles, the Israel exiles within the Babylon nation. God had never left his people. He kept his covenant with his people. And it all started because God gave. So if we consider this together. All seemed lost for God's people, yet God remained faithful. God had never abandoned his people. Babylonians' kings reigned and went. Yet God sustained his faithful servant, Daniel, throughout 70 years. When all seemed lost, God's faithfulness prevailed because he is the covenant-keeping God. And despite all the pressures of the job, threats to his life, Daniel was the faithful servant of the Lord to the end. The question is for us, will you be a faithful servant to the end? Think of Daniel's life. He has to be subservient under pagan kings. To an Israelite, pagans are detestable. They're unclean. But they're ruled now by these unclean people. They must understand their culture, speak their language, stripped of their identity. I now must wear pe- Babylonian clothing. It's almost like, you know, the Chinese last night, they got pigtail, cut off their pigtail, whoa, loose face, you know, that kind of thing. But it's actually worse because now you have to abide by their laws and then by their rules and by their lifestyle. But yet, Daniel took on the marks of a servant. See, there are two defining marks of a servant humility and honor. Humility and honor. And there we see Daniel, he was a humble servant before the king, King Nebuchadnezzar. He never fought back. He never argued. Sure, he stood his ground. I shall not let myself be defiled. Because Daniel understood that beyond the pagan king was the king of kings. Yahweh is God. But defiance, leading a rebellion, Daniel never did. He humbled himself to serve. Imagine the attitude of the Babylonian king. Just imagine with me King Nebuchadnezzar having a meeting with some of these Babylonian counterparts in the palace. (laughs) These Israelites, this scum of the earth, they think they're so big, they're God, so big. But look at us, we're almighty Babylonians. We conquered them, and now they have to learn our language. Look at them, those fools. Some of them, they can't speak, but these guys can, but we taught them well. Can you imagine? Imagine. Oh, we can do whatever we want with them. They don't pass the exam. We shall skin them alive. We'll stretch their bodies. We behead them. We are the mighty Babylon. Oh, I'm saying. imagine that? The pride of the nation, of that national leader, and you have to serve this king and come before him but before the king Daniel stood before the almighty king and became a consultant and we had to speak wisdom perspective humbly honoring this king because he honored the king of kings humility honor What about you? What about me? Do we take on the posture of humility and honor? Sometimes, when we come to church, we'll hear me make an announcement. Please come early for service. Now, this is not an indictment of anyone who was late today. Please don't get me wrong. Because sometimes we're late for different reasons. Some of us, for example, if we're parents with a baby... Oh, yeah, the kid, uh, his pampers, they're leaking, they going to church, and then, wow, you know, it's really gross. And then I had to come and wash my hands, and then I had to park the car, but there's no car park at Santeg. Oh, I tell you, it's really stressful. And then I come in, and then the pastor says, uh, please come early for service by Pisces walking. Oh, right. Well, humility and honor. You see, we have to recognize that we're all in this church service together. I'm early, so I'm sitting in the middle row, but if I'm late, I have to walk in front of you during the worship, you know, the greatest thing, I see this shadow in front of me, right? It is not the most pleasant experience for those who made the time to come early. But I want to see it from another perspective. I want you to imagine that you are coming for your company dinner. And in the company dinner, it is to honor Your boss, who's been working for the company for 40 years, and of all the people in the entire company of 5,000 people, they've selected you to give that thank you speech on behalf of all 5,000 employees. But for that day, all of a sudden, you realize you're late. And you have this four-page speech prepared, and already the dinner started, and you come in late, and you're already expected to give the speech. So five minutes into the program, you're already supposed to be five minutes into your 10-minute speech. So you rush onto the stage and you don't give any apology. You just stand there and go, oh, start at page three because I'm five minutes late. And you give your speech halfway and then finish and everyone just goes, what on earth just happened? I like to think about this. When we come to church to worship God, it is partly to give time to give thanks to God. And say, God, thank you for my life. Sometimes when we're late, just think about it. We're giving our thank you speech halfway to God and ask yourself the question, is that honoring to God? Is that honoring? Am I honoring Him as a servant of God? This is for our consideration and our meditation because sometimes we might just see this as going through the motions. But it's what we do in this stage of our life accounts of matters. Our servant posture before an almighty king. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. As I do so, I'm going to tell us a story, a personal story, and then I'm going to end with a theological reflection before we respond to the Lord this afternoon. Um, I want to Start by saying, you know, sometimes when people think, oh, you know, pastors I ministry staff, op staff in Covenant EFC, wow, they must work in the best environment, huh? very godly environment. Lots of godly people, you know. They, they go to the office at uh, the ACK Center, which is named a certain kind of center, which means we're all Christmaster people. And we're all very polite to each other, like, oh, good morning, Sister Mie. Oh, good morning, Pastor. Oh, no, no Reverend Matthew, you know. Oh, hello there, Reverend Edmund Chano. Hello. Hello, Reverend Dr. Chua Chukai, if, if that's not a mouthful enough already. So we all imagine that oh, everyone's very godly, Georgia, everyone's very nice, everyone's very certain kind, all very, you know, actually, it's five levels beyond what a fantastic, all godly. But sometimes there are people in the office I work at that trigger me. It's either the behavior they exhibit or the things they say it sounds like I think myself, well, you so how and for what? You know, that kind of thing goes on in my mind. So people trigger me. And there's this monster inside that eats into my heart and wants to get back at them. sometimes like, <laughs> you know, that kind of idea. <laughs> Not very godly, right? Not very pastoral, right? A little bit shocking. Yeah? So it came across Circuit Breaker. I was in charge of the online service. So if you've seen our online service, right? We had two phases of an online service. First, it was shot in a studio, and suddenly everything was shot in people's homes. So you see musicians in the home, right? You might recognize some of them. Singer was singing in front of their toilet, right? <laughs> and Sharon sang in front of their toilet. Then suddenly you see Joshua on the piano in his bedroom, and you see uh, David besides his TV in the living room, right? To put all that together was a um, huge team of five people. And I think along with me at this, uh, production of Friends, Friends uh, TV sitcom, half an hour show, half an hour show, uh, has over 120 production staff. We're putting on a church service every week that's over an hour with all these complexities around it. It was so stressful, I was getting one to two hours sleep at night for four months. And same with the rest of the team. This team comprising of people like Colin that we see here, Dave, was in the team, Joshua Lowe, and then there was Naomi, John, Nyer, and Edwin. It was highly stressful. We were under enormous pressure. And on top of all this, we received emails, feedback. Why the lighting like that? Like, for example, if you remember Pastor Kai? It's no offense to Pastor Kai, it's just funny. When he preached in his bedroom, he's got this ugly pink curtain. You all remember this? I tell you, as a production team, we first saw a sailor this Curtain is so ugly, you know. I actually prayed, God, please, in all your sovereignty and power, perform the greatest miracle. If you can part the Red Sea, you can turn this curtain into a white color God, you know, that kind of thing. Never happened. And so, some of the feedback was quite nasty sometimes. You know, know, the sound bad. What's this shh sound when we hear the sermon? See, when Pastor Kai preached one of his sermons, one of his children was very sick, diarrhea. And so, what happened was that. There was this shh sound coming. So what's this shh sound coming? So we wrote in Pasakai. We watched your whole recording because shh sound. What's happening? I don't know. So he, he was on Zoom with us. What's this shh sound? I don't know. It's shh sound. Shh sound. Shh sound. Shh, shh, shh. Asked, oh, my, my child has diarrhea. It's the toilet piping next door. Shh shh. shh. What well, I say? You're very sick. You're a doctor. Please go do to something about it. Anyways, it was very stressful. Right after circuit breaker was another phase. I can't remember it was all these phases, right? And so we're still working from home. It was very stressful. And the e staff gathered on Zoom for a meeting. And our supervisor at the time was Pastor Barney. And he said he asked us to do something. I can't remember what exactly he asked us to do. And then one by one, some of the staff were starting to share their challenges. I can't do this. I can't do that and all this. And inside my heart, I was thinking, what do you mean you cannot do this, do that? I'm busy doing this online service. Can't you guys get your act together? Of course, I didn't say out loud. I was all inside my brain, inside my heart. But the more I talked, the more I got angry, until I was done already. I unmuted, I said that, you are, got nothing much to do. Do you know how much pressure I'm under? Do you know all the things that I have to do? I started doing this, on, on, on. this is a church meeting. And the funny thing is that, in the back of my mind, I was thinking, man, you got to stop yourself, you got to stop yourself. But the more this voice was going, you got to stop yourself, the more I went on. And the funny thing is when I went on, everything just coming out of my mouth came out in slow motion in my mind, like, Do you know how much pressure I'm on? You know, that kind of thing. And you wish I could grab back that moment. But I just, and then I muted back, and I just sat there. The meeting ended. I went to prepare lunch. And I was preparing lunch. I remember I had to cut something. (laughs) and I said to the Lord, I prayed this prayer. Believe it or not, I said to the Lord, I said, can you please change my colleagues? Do something, God. And the Lord spoke and said, Son, watch yourself. Watch yourself. The Lord spoke to me. I gave you abilities. I gave you a passion. Steward your passion wisely. Passionate person, Can be very creative, but a passionate person can get also very angry. And in that moment, the Lord convicted me. I had to start calling people. Start with Pastor Barney. I'm sorry, man. I lost my temper. It's "It's okay. It's okay, brother. We're all in this together. I was imagining as he's on the phone, like, it's okay, brother. It's okay. We're all in this together. (laughs) But it wasn't. This was a magnanimous heart, a heart of forgiveness. And I called WhatsApp some of my other colleagues, those that may have felt targeted. WhatsApp the entire team, sorry for my attitude. Different ones. Someone even called up and said that, it's okay, let me pray with you, pray for you. You're under a lot of pressure. We are grateful for the team, what they're doing for the online. It's how humbling that is? It's greatly humbling. And greatly honoring to a someone who doesn't deserve it. Just now we sang this song, the greatest thing in all my life is loving you. And when I sang that song, to be very honest with you, I teared. I teared so much because I was thinking I don't deserve his love. You see, in all of human history, there was one dash that meant a lot to all of us here. was Jesus. And God gave his only son. And his position was a servant, faithful to the end. Oh, the little children came running over. The society that despised them. No, Jesus let them sit in his lap. A woman who had many boyfriends, Jesus engaged with her. An adulterous woman, the Lord Jesus extended mercy to her. A leper who was considered unclean, the Lord touched the leper and healed him. Jesus, the sinless Lamb of God, went to the cross for our sins, positioned to be the Savior of the world, to a world that has rejected Him. Jesus died but rose again and offers hope and eternal life for each of us, positioning us to be a witness, to be faithful to Him to the end, because each of us must now stand before a king, this king who gave his life for us. As we respond to this message from the Lord, we're gonna sing this song, The Greatest Thing. And if this sermon spoke to you and something is stirring your heart, as with this song, I want to invite you, if the Lord is stirring something in your heart as a result of this sermon, is to stand and sing this song. Don't stand because someone else stood. You stand because God is stirring something in your heart. This day. I'm going to give us just 20 seconds just to reflect. God, what are you speaking to me? And then if you feel the stirring of the Spirit of God, would you join me in standing before our King to sing? Let's have this just moment of just reflecting. I invite you to stand as we sing. The greatest thing in all my
1: life is loving you.
0: Is love. You lift your hands before the Lord and sing this as your prayer. The greatest thing. The greatest thing in all Simon, we're talking about the dash and the episodes in our life, and some of us in life right now, it's tough. I met a couple this morning going through their cancer journey. That's not easy. But something was said by the husband. He said, Pastor, we've come to a place to say we surrender. Sometimes, when we ask for things for God, we ask for healing, we ask for that, but what we ask for is His presence. That's it. Whatever happens will happen. I just ask for His presence. That moved me greatly because we ask for all kinds of things from our God, but what He asks for of us as a covenant God is that we be present with Him. That's it. So what we do in this moment of our lives comes. As a verse in this song says, the greatest thing in all my life is loving you, God. And I'd like us to do this. I'd like us to stand, each of us. Lift up our hands, Lift up our voice. And sing this from the depth of our heart. The greatest thing in all my life is loving you We're going to up a key and we're going to sing this with all our hearts. Are you ready? Here we go. The greatest thing,
1: the greatest thing
0: in all
1: my life is love. time to